Welcome to Coffee House. Hey, we've got a book by somebody we've read before. We had read Anti-Fragile, I think a few books ago, and that's by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And if you heard that episode, obviously I was blown away by uh, the style of the book and a lot of the substance therein. So now we're reading Fooled by Randomness, which was actually published in 2001. That was a different era, was it not? And it's apparently part of his, uh, his whole grouping of books his series, and this is the first one. I picked it at random, <laughs> but it turned out to be the first one. Anti-Fragile is like number four or something, so it goes this one, The Black Swan, The Bed of Procrustes, Anti-Fragile, and Skin in the Game. The subtitle is The Hidden Role of Chance in Life and in the Market, so it actually has a lot to do with a lot of things that we've been talking about, and kind of uh, dovetails with the most important concept that we've been trying to hammer home practically from the beginning. I mean, not, maybe not even practically, definitely from the beginning of this whole podcast. So, of course, as always, we're going to go through the contents. We're going to have a bit of an analysis that kind of talks about what we thought about the book in general, the qualities and detriments thereof. And then we'll go into some big picture stuff where we talk about how it fits into our grander understanding of the world and how the world works. So, first, the contents. So the author opens by saying this was written for fun, that he primarily only uses things that he witnessed personally. And that, yes, he realizes that it's not that literally everything is randomness. One of the big ideas that he will hit on multiple occasions throughout the book is that the billionaires and the CEOs and the like all love to pretend and rationalize that it was their doing that got them to where they are. But by Taleb's calculation, it's actually mostly attributable to randomness, to things that they didn't accomplish. So here he's acknowledging that, yes, it does take hard work and skill and capability and all that stuff, but he's saying that it's primarily randomness. So now we go into kind of the meat of the book, where he talks about how the book is about luck, and that human beings are faulty and defective. <laughs> and he has a number of kind of case studies where he'll talk about specific traders. Now remember, this is written in 2001. This is just after the big tech collapse. So there were a lot of people who made a lot of money and then lost a lot more of it in the span of this time. And there's somebody named Nero who was a proprietary trader. And I believe this person was the one who was, had extreme risk aversion, had all the money in treasury bonds. But the author points out here that mild success is attributable to skills and labor, where wild success is attributable to variance something that nobody has control over. And apparently this initial person, you know, like Nero, he was... Uh, ridiculed or at least chastised by his fellow traders who were doing more risky ventures and were making more at the time, but he was inclined to follow this uh, very specific strategy to avoid an imminent downturn. And then there's a chapter, and one thing about this book is that it is divided into many, many very short chapters. <laughs> so uh, sometimes you just start getting into a section or into a topic, and then you're already into the next one. This one was titled An Overpaid Hick, and it was about a guy named John who made way more and who was higher in the pecking order, but John would eventually lose everything. But there's this whole idea also of that when people are surveyed, they would prefer to make less if the people around them made less than them still. So they'd take less as long as their relative wealth was still higher than the people around them. And this is something, I mean, I've only seen things that corroborate that idea. 
Okay, and there's this thought experiment here with Russian roulette. So you have all these alternative histories, and we see the results of the histories, and we try to make these interpretations of this information to apply to our own lives or try to make sense of the world. So in Russian roulette, obviously everybody knows how that game is played, but imagine if you had a Russian roulette game wherein that you play it and you get $10 million or something like that if you survive. So if you had a whole bunch of people playing that, then the presence of the people who who survived would be amplified so they'd say it's a great game yeah go play <laughs> and some fatuous journalist as the author puts it will praise it like look how brilliant they are for having played russian roulette and taleb specifically makes the the connection between this and the billionaires of today but there's an even more vicious roulette and that's life and one of the things that people have when they're trying to understand their life and wh why things happen and what happens and what they should do to prepare for the future is that anything that did not actually happen in the past is an abstraction. It's very difficult for people to heed what did not happen. And then he puts people into two categories. Those who never accept randomness, so they rationalize everything away, and those who are haunted by it and just terrified by the prospect of things being random. And another one that follows this is that people often mistake dealing with a complex system as having a confused mind. So if you're trying to struggle through and understand something that's really complex, then a lot of people will see that as you not having a grasp of the information and saying you must be confused <laughs> rather than understanding that it's actually complex and that most people just try to pare it down into something digestible that doesn't actually have any bearing on the reality. A different kind of earthquake. We don't like to insure against something abstract. And we move into some kind of ideas about psychology here where risk detection and risk avoidance are not in the thinking part of the brain, but in the emotional part of the brain. The rational thinking that we are capable of doing has little to do with risk avoidance. And then there's an attack on journalists, which was, you know, made my day. This was a 2001 attack on journalists when they were just benighted and sainted and everything else you could imagine as compared to now. But it's the representation from journalists that can fool you the most by tricking your emotional apparatus. Of course, that's what they try to do is to trick your emotional apparatus to be interested in what they have to say. But so much of this can cause problems. And then we read that one book a while ago, Against Empathy by Paul Bloom, where it talked about how empathy is a problem and here Taleb specifically talks about it how empathy can divert your resources and attention to the wrong causes because you're automatically geared toward the sensational and so journalism can play on these uh, weaknesses psychologically and intellectually that humans have and he puts it as journalism may be the greatest plague we face today again this was in 2001 or this was the second edition so however long after that that if he added that in the second edition but then some interesting stuff about the tools that one gets to use along this path of trying to figure out how probability works. And the Monte Carlo method, which is apparently, I mean, I'm sure it's something that's just done with incredible rapidity now and to a degree with artificial intelligence that we could have never imagined at the time. But this is a method where you have systems where you, you're trying to analyze a system, but you inject randomness into something that should be determinative so that you can, you can see where it goes from there. So you have all these, these alternate paths and you're trying to understand what reality is, but you're injecting randomness because you can't really know, you you know where it could come from so you just get these thousands of alternative paths and i'm sure now you could just do millions of them and you could do it on your home computer and it's not even a, an issue anymore <laughs> and there's a reference to solon's warning where you have to enjoy successes especially the fleeting ones with modesty and sobriety 
He makes a distinction between scientific intellectual versus a literary intellectual and talks about how dangerous it is that literary intellectuals use scientific language. So they'll couch their ideas in scientific language and then ask the question, can evolution be fooled? You have to wonder, okay, if these people are so weak, how do they end up gaining so much, at least for a period of time? But he talks about uh, Carlos and John, two examples of people who did very poorly and talks about how they didn't test for what would work when the markets weren't aren't working. There's no plan for a bad market. And of course, you have a survivorship bias in these situations. You have a certain trait that worked under that particular segment of history. And the evolutionary idea is that on average, animals will be fit. It's not that all animals will be fit at all times. And then we have this inverse rare event situation where, and this is what Taleb uses, is that you lose money frequently in small amounts, but make money rarely in large amounts, which would be something that's very difficult for virtually everybody to stomach. But apparently that is the way to go, at least for this particular author. And then he goes into Hume, Niederhofer, and Popper. I have saved a Popper book. It looks pretty long, so we're going to do that one at some point. But apparently Popper is a, is a big deal. Obviously, I've encountered popper before that's carl big k uh to the uninitiated but i haven't read an entire one of his books so i think we're gonna get in one of those at some point but niederhofer specifically talks about how empiricism cannot be separated from methodology so you have this idea of naive empiricism yeah you just make your very rudimentary observations and you say that you have something understood you can more safely use data to refute an idea than to prove something and this is where the idea of the black swans which of course is going to come up in a later book I'm sure but that you can't say that all swans are pink because at any time a black swan could just pop out and that would torpedo your whole idea and another way to look at this is that you can't just observe what has already happened and say that that must be what's going to happen so if you look at a President Bush at the time <laughs> You say, well, he has never died. President Bush has never died. So therefore, he must be immortal. And of course, you'd see the fallacy in that. Monkeys on typewriters. So one of the things that we have to struggle with is that we see only winners. And Taleb specifically says that luck is what's most attributable for success. And because we have this survivorship bias, it's really difficult for us to really pick out what's going on here. We have a biological handicap to understand probability. There's also this reference to this one New York lawyer who was relatively very successful uh, relative to virtually everybody else in the country, in the world really, but not relative to his neighbors. His wife was really unhappy about it because relative to his neighbors, his neighbors were all very well-to-do and a little more wealthy than he was. But the failures do not show up in that sample. The failures don't show up and move in next door to people who are extremely well off. And there was this super amazing... Because he initially started describing the situation where uh, somebody got a, a letter that said that the market was going to go up. You know, this, uh, these particular stocks or something were going to go up and suggested that they invest in it. And then they sent another letter that said the same thing. And the letters, there were like three letters and they were all right. And so this person was like, wow, that's incredible. Uh, but <laughs> then it turned out this person sent out letters, bearish letters and bullish letters to like thousands of people. And then just whatever happened the next week, he would just wean down you know just, just carve out all the ones that were right and send new letters and whichever one of those were right he'd send new letters after that so it's so shady but it refines all the way down to only winners so then you only see the ones that work out and then here we get into the real meat of it where there's a i i don't even know how to describe it a conflagration of <laughs> 
of all the things that I have been thinking concerned about in recent history where he specifically talks about, okay, when is it not truly luck? And he says that he reserves his judgment for trying to figure that kind of a thing out. So this whole book has been trying to figure that kind of thing out, but he shows exemplary humility at this point. And then goes into talking about Kahneman and Tversky. I think it's Tversky, right? Is that how you pronounce it? And their books that are trying to determine how irrational people are and how they use heuristics and biases to make the world more digestible. And there are things that come up, different heuristics, like the anchoring to previous wealth. So really you anchor, if you say a number, then a person will be anchored by that number rather than just rationally trying to figure out, you know, what something is worth or something like that. The availability heuristic, things that are more available are given preference. The two systems of reasoning, you know, system two and system one. And one way that Taleb explained this was like in chess. And of course, I've been watching a whole bunch of chess. Chess championships, those things are intense. <laughs> so like you start, when you start playing chess, you start in system two, where you're very deliberative trying to figure out what's going on. But it shifts over to system one, where you get this intuitive sense of which one's right and which one's wrong. But the big thing is our brains are not designed to find what's true. We evolved in a habitat where we didn't need probabilities. And there's a reference to the triune brain. I remember reading a book about this when I was like 12 or something <laughs> about how we have a reptilian hind brain that deals mostly with our fear and, you know, flight and fight responses and that kind of thing. Then we have a limbic brain that's all these robust emotional responses to things. And then we have our neocortex, which is supposed to be the reasoning seat of our brain. Of course, this is an oversimplification of the way the brain works, but it is kind of a useful way to understand the way that our brain does what it does. Then there's a wonderful reference to Odysseus <laughs> tied to the mast, uh, heading toward the sirens, and his crew filling their ears with wax. So, of course, Odysseus had to do this because he was very concerned that they would be drawn in by the sirens. So this is used as a metaphor, of course, for Taleb in going into the idea of saying that I am not so intelligent. I'm dominated by emotions and I'm fooled by randomness. So I have to be very careful about how I manage my own inadequacies when it comes to understanding a complex world and probabilities, which is, I mean, just the height of humility. But there's a difference between noise and signal. We're mere animals and it's very difficult to figure those things out. And he talks about some issues and circumstances where he was trying to figure out what the signal was and what the noise was. And he mentions George Sor Soros a few times in this, but here he specifically talks about Soros as a person who is capable of changing his position rapidly. And I think he talked about a situation wherein Soros was supposed to fund for millions and millions of dollars supposed to fund this thing and then like days later he just decided not to anymore and took his money back so apparently he changes his mind rapidly with no embarrassment and it leaves him totally free from his past actions of course that's something that's very difficult that's something very difficult for me as well is just to change your mind on something like that there is an attendant embarrassment to say that i was wrong previously and now i'm just thinking something else but apparently a lot of people who are very capable don't even go that far <laughs> the kaiser's Jose of our modern world doesn't care and <laughs> just changes his mind just like that. And then we've get, got a discussion about stoicism, of course. This is one area of thought, one philosophy that I definitely keep running back into. But for Taleb, stoicism is about wisdom, upright dealings, and courage. Those are the things that you should be exhibiting at all times. And personal elegance, uh, try not to play the victim. Never exhibit self-pity. Do not complain. Those are things to live by. And remember that the only thing Lady Fortuna has no, has no control over is your behavior.
Finally, we are made to live like firemen, not by a rigid schedule. So he talks about how he just wakes up when he wakes up and he doesn't have a bunch of scheduled things that he needs to do. You know, firemen, they're waiting in the office and when they get a call, they go out to the call and they take care of it. So he thinks that we should be living like that. Okay, and I forgot to actually write notes about my analysis and my big picture, so I can't believe I just started recording. I'm not sure what I got distracted at some point. But anyway, so the analysis. So number one, obviously I liked so much of it, and I like him as a writer, just period. The other book that we read, Anti-Fragile, I think it had more of a kind of muscular, intense tone to it, but this one had a lot of really awesome ways to say a lot of really awesome things. I think he talked about it in the beginning, in like the pre-log or whatever, <laughs> whatever the first thing that he, he said. He talked about how a lot of editors wanted to change the tone. They wanted to fix it up and, and dress it up a little bit to make it a little nicer. But he said, no, I mean, I want to have this personality built into this. Love the tone, love the love the style of the whole thing. And of course, if anybody anybody has been listening to this for a while, one of the first things that I did way back in the beginning that I stopped doing because it became cumbersome and I wasn't sure how much people were getting out of it, but it might be something I reintroduced was that I would lab. And the point of labbing it was to state your liabilities and your biases were the other one. What was the A? I can't remember what the A was now. But the point was to verify that you have issues that could be impacted impacting your way, your ability to understand what you're talking about. So, and to be upfront about that. So he exhibits at the end here, just a tremendous amount of humility while not just giving away the game, not just saying that I can't figure anything out. He just says that I have to take a lot of precautions to make sure that I'm doing these things in the right way, that I'm trying to understand in the right way. And so on the one hand, these books are just so much fun to read. I love reading his writing and the ideas that he goes through. And on the other hand, he exhibits a tremendous amount of humility, which is just one of the best things that humans can do at this point in our evolutionary history one of the best things that people can do for the species, period. So that's fantastic. And there are a lot of references to, you know, great thinkers and big scientific ideas. And he references Kahneman and he kind of leaves it in Kahneman's and Tversky's hands when it comes to the particulars about this. You know, he's not a, a scientist or anything like that who studies these things. So he doesn't go into great depth. There isn't, as I usually say, there isn't a robust encyclopedic kind of scientific exploration of these ideas or anything like that. Like that. And most of his humility is in general as opposed to specifically about the scientific ideas. So so there is that kind of distinction. But like I said, he mostly leaves it in their hands and references them and just uses a whole bunch of entertaining methods for getting a lot of cool ideas across. So just in general, I, I enjoy it. I'm going to read all of his books for sure. And I think there are some important things to take away. You know, some of the things that he just provides at the end that stoicism about is about wisdom, upright dealings, and courage. And personal elegance, try not to play victim. That's great. <laughs> Never exhibit self-pity. I, I don't know what I'm going to do or how I'm going to remember all these things, but I feel like I should put these up on a whiteboard or like get a tattoo like I'm in Memento or something uh, just to make sure I don't forget this stuff. And do not complain. I mean, all these things really, really great. Big picture wise, number one idea, humility. I'm just going to keep hitting that, hitting that one hard. Obviously, you need to put it in a context of you still have to function. You still have to make arguments. You still have to try to figure out what's true. But humility is the most important emotion and the most important thing, meme, that has to be spread around the population at this point. So, but anyway, so since I didn't have a super awesome notes related to my big picture analysis here, we'll just leave it there and we'll get on to the discussion ASAP. 
And I'll try to say which book I'm actually reading next because I've forgotten the last discussion. At some point, this stuff is going to get ironed out and it's going to be smooth and we're going to be able to move forward here. It's just, uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to exhibit self-pity. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to try to play victim. I just need to do better. All right. So it's it's been good talking to you. Hope to see you on the next one and uh, have a good day. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>